0: I am continuing in this series uh, we started a few weeks ago about the five axioms of our identity uh, as a church family. This is like our DNA, and I want to go over them. I want to go over them every week, Uh, and so we're on the third one this week. We are people of—say it with me if you know it. It's going to be on the screen. You can read it. We are people of the Word. We're people of the Spirit. We're people of one another. We're people of the kingdom, and we are people for— the world. This is who Christian people are, and this is who we are because these things are who Jesus is, and we are his people. We are his representatives, and we're his body on the earth. And so as we've talked about, you know, our mantra is a church, free people. It's who we are. It's what we do, but we have to get that order right. We want to know. We want everything we do to flow from who we are because if we get that backwards, we get into a performance trap. We start trying to prove who we are by what we do. And by the way, that's the temptation of Christ. Pretty much all three of those temptations were about that right there. If you know God, if you have faith, if, prove it, prove it, prove it. And we are not people who prove it (laughs) because our Father has already proved it for us. And so we just rest in who we are and we let ministry flow out of that. And so tonight... We're talking about being people of one another. And as we unpack that tonight, I want to read Philippians chapter 2. Part of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And then we're going to talk about this. And I want to say this before we dive into the scripture. This thought came to me this afternoon before our band practice and everything as I was praying about this evening and this message and I feel like tonight's message is, is this axiom that we're going to talk about is probably for our church in the time that we live in, the most important of all the axioms that we're going to talk about tonight. And I say that because if you look at those other four, you go to any church and you talk about this is who we are as Christians, they would say yes and Amen. We're we're people of the word. We're people of the spirit. We want to be about the kingdom. We want to be for the world. But I will tell you right now, if we don't get this one right, right here, the next two especially are not going to happen. We will not be people of the kingdom. We will not bring the kingdom. We will not see the world come to know Jesus if we don't get this one right, right here. And Jesus had some strong words about it. And I want to read Philippians chapter 2 as we set our minds on what it means to be of, of one another. The Apostle Paul writes this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. Been praying that for our church a whole lot over the last few months. That we would be one spirit and one mind. One spirit and one mind. United with Jesus in this. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. If, if you got your Bible and your underlying, maybe underlying nothing. Do nothing. We should do absolutely nothing out of selfish ambition. Because it's what I want to do or vain conceit, because it's all about me. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, think about every relationship you have. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And now it's going to describe Jesus' mindset. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, I pray right now that you would give us your mindset. Give us your mindset. And in your name I ask this, amen. This kind of blew my mind as I was reading this this week. That Jesus Christ was God. He was with the Father in heaven. This is such an important passage, especially for our church family, for a charismatic community. Because we talk a lot about the more of God. We talk a lot about wanting to experience more of God. And we kind of have to focus on that in a culture that's very atheistic, that doesn't even believe in the supernatural, that doesn't even in a church atmosphere and culture in America that doesn't even believe in the baptism and gifts of the Holy Spirit. We kind of have to press into that. We kind of have to focus on that a little more uh, maybe than, than at other times in history or in other uh, countries, cultures. And so that's necessary. And we know that scripture tells us to eagerly desire greater gifts and, and, and do that in love but we're always talking about the more of God. We want a spiritual experience. We want to experience God. And Jesus was God. He's like, I experienced the Father. His whole mindset on this earth was about serving people. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see him doing primarily two things sneaking off by himself to have time alone with his Father. But other than that, and you get this idea that that time was very brief to him and not long enough. But as soon as he re-engages, what's he doing? He's not doing hobbies. He's not doing entertainment. He's not feeding, looking for the best food that he's going to eat when the fast is over. Oh, somebody just got convicted. It was me. And <laughs> he's not doing that stuff. After his alone time with the Father, he's serving people. That's, that's all he's doing. He's preaching to them, which is serving them. He's healing them, which is serving them. He's setting them free from demons, which is serving them. He's giving gifts to the poor, which is serving them. He's literally feeding them at times, which is serving them. He tries to get alone after the death of his friend John the Baptist, and he says to his disciples, they've been, they've been busy. He says, come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. He's trying to do a retreat. With his disciples, they land on the other side, huge crowd waiting. Does he say, I've got boundaries, I'm not doing this. It's my day off, it's my Sabbath. No, he filled with compassion. And he goes, let's serve them boys. And they get out there and they serve them and then what? Now I'm going up the mountain by myself. (laughs) Y'all go ahead. Going off by himself to be with the Father. And other than that, he's serving God. People. We need this mindset in the American church. This is the mindset we need. Y'all, this is the mindset of Jesus. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. What is the mindset of Jesus? It's the mindset of a servant. If the American church needs a message, man, it's this right here. Because this flies in the face of our American consumeristic culture. And the charismatic church is no different. We get into charismatic consumerism. I want to go to church and I want to get my worship on. I hope they sing the songs that... I like, and if they don't, I'll be kind of disappointed, and I'll probably say worship wasn't that good today, because it's all about how it makes me feel, when that's not even technically worship. <laughs> worship is to the Father, to make Him feel good, whether it makes me feel good or not. Now, it feels good, because <laughs> that's how He wired this. But we think so much when people go to church, I want to get my worship on. I want to get encouraged. I want to get fed. I want to be I want to drop my kids off in kids ministry and I want to go to service, but I never want to help with the kids ministry. Man, people getting convicted this weekend. I'm telling you, it's all about I, it's all about I, it's all about me and This is, there is some tendency that this is always going to exist in any church family to some degree because it's also an immature mindset. So if new people are getting saved, they need a lot of feeding. They need a lot of feed me, feed me, help me, help me, receive, receive, receive. But as we grow in the grace and knowledge of God, we should be maturing and we should get to the point where we realize, oh wait, it's not all about me. And if I'm... Jesus is the one we're following. If we're growing in him, then at some point we realize, oh, he's a servant. Oh, oh, I shall not want. I lack nothing. The boundary lines have fallen for me in good places. I'm good. Now the rest of my life is about serving and about paying it forward and about helping other people come to know him. That's a mature Christian mindset. There's a very concerning, growing mindset in the American church today. Another mindset that goes like this: You know, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. There's another version of it. You know, I know Christ. I'm saved. I know the Bible. I read the Bible. I play my worship. I've watched YouTube worship. I get I get my worship on on my way to work, and I don't need to go to church. I've literally heard people say this, both of these things. Here's why that's a disturbing mindset for a Christian. A Christian is a Christ follower. So if you say you're following Christ and your mindset is, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I said the prayer, I pray little through the week, and I'm good. I, I stay out of trouble, I don't sin, I'm good. But I don't need The church. Here's the problem with that. Here's why it's disturbing. It is not the mindset of Jesus. Which means it's a doctrine of demons to lure you away. When I look at people who fall away from faith altogether, who say, you know, I used to be avid Christian, blah, blah, blah. I'm an atheist now. Do you know what one of the first things to go is? Church attendance. Just going to church because they start buying into these mindsets sounds really good but the problem is it's not Jesus it's not his heart and it's definitely not biblical and if we are Christ followers this should concern us and so I want to spend the rest of our time tonight well before we get to that I was supposed to ask you this question ask yourself this question As you're assessing yourself, examining yourself, is my mindset more like Christ or is my mindset more like the culture? And when I say culture, I also mean cultural Christianity because cultural Christianity sounds a lot like, I like Jesus, I don't need church, I got my personal Jesus, I'm good to go. That's cultural Christianity. And as we're going to walk through some scriptures tonight, you're going to see black and white, maybe the words in red too. That is not the mindset of Jesus. It's not the heart of God. And so I want to spend the rest of our time talking about that. And I want to talk about three reasons why if you're truly following Jesus, truly following him, you don't just have religion. If you actually truly do have a personal relationship Jesus will lead you to do life and faith in deep fellowship community with other people. Three reasons why that is absolutely true. I can promise you it, because it's all over the word of God, as we're going to see. So first reason number one, it's how God designed us. We are designed for community, and you can ignore that at your own peril. In Genesis 2, God has just got, gotten done creating the entire universe, the world, maybe not the universe, we don't know, but definitely the world. And it says he blessed everything, and about every single thing he created in this earth, he said, it is good. It's good. And we get to Genesis 2 verse 18, and he says there's actually one thing that's not good amidst the goodness of creation. Genesis 2.18, this is pre-fall. There's something that's not good pre-fall. And God himself says, it is not good for man to be alone. And then amazingly, a few verses later, he makes a quote-unquote helper for him, a complimentary person, a partner, a companion, a helpmate. And it says he puts Adam into a deep sleep, he takes a rib and creates woman. Do you know what the Hebrew word for woman means? Taken out of. So woman came out of man, and every man that's ever existed eventually came out of a woman, which means we are literally people of one another. There's no such thing as a self-made man or woman. Not true. The biggest rags to riches story, somebody had to wipe that baby's butt and feed them milk while they were helpless. There's no such thing. We are created to be dependent on one another and to live within a network called family and community. Families working together, that's a community. God created us for these relationships. And then think about this, Galatians 4, four and five, it says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Even our Lord and savior is of us. Think about that. To save us, he became one of us. And how did Jesus do life? Did he do life on his own? No. Was he a lone wolf? No. He's the savior of the world. And yet he still, even Jesus, did not do it on his own. He went to the cross on his own. Only he could do that. He rose from the dead on his own. Only he could do that. But then what happened after that? The Gentiles hadn't even been brought in yet. How is it that we're all sitting here? Because Jesus had a group. A group. Jesus had a small group. Jesus had a family. Jesus had disciples that he worked with, he lived with, he slept with, next to. He, (laughs) gotta be careful in this culture. Get your minds out of the gutter. He lived with these guys. They were in deep fellowship. They were in camaraderie with one another. They ate together. They did everything together. They did ministry together. And this is who he entrusted the church to. After he ascended, we were created, even in just our humanity, to live together, to work together, to be in fellowship with one another. Ecclesiastes 4 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Like you can do life on your own, but it's not going to go well for you. It's like saying I can only, I, I'm gonna eat certain foods, but I'm not gonna have any protein ever. I'm not gonna have any carbohydrates ever. Could you survive? Maybe, but your lifespan's gonna be shortened and it's, you're not gonna have a good quality of life. And the same thing is true if you try to do life on your own, and if you try to do faith on your own. Two are better than one, scripture says. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus said. If two of you on earth agree about anything, Jesus said. Jesus sent them out two by two. We would do well to learn from our Lord and Savior. Our faith, our culture needs to hear what I'm about to say. And we all need, this is good medicine for us rugged individual Americans. Our faith is deeply personal, but it was never meant to be private. And I read this a few years ago on social, and it it shocked me when I read it, and I didn't like it when I read it. But I've found it to be absolutely true. Pastor and author Rich Velotis says, The Bible, and when he means the Bible, he's talking about our Christian faith in the Bible. When you look at Christian faith in the Bible, is more communal than individual. Jesus teaches us to pray our father, not my father. Paul uses the phrase our Lord 53 times in scripture and and my Lord only one time. This is a bit offensive, but it's true. Jesus is my personal Savior, is not found in Scripture, that phrase. We are the people of God. We belong to each other. Now, some of you are like, ah, oh, oh, but Jesus is, oh, you've got to make a personal decision. Yes, you do. And then you have a social obligation after that personal decision because you got adopted. And you're not the only one God adopted. You're not an only child. God has a big family. So guess what? If you're an only child, then maybe it could be all about you and you don't need church. Speaking of, here's another popular saying, don't just go to church, be the church. How many of you heard that one? You probably share that on your social at some point. (laughs) Don't just go to church, be the church. Here's my concern in our Western American individualistic society that wants to make God in our own image rather than the other way around. We're taking that phrase now. Don't just go to church, be the church. So I do good works through the week too. I need to go to church even less. And then in my pride, I think I am the church. And I don't need to go to church. And here's the deal. You cannot be the church on your own. I will build my ecclesia. That's the word in Greek. Do you know what ekklesia is? I will build my ekklesia and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know what ekklesia is? It is a public assembly of called out ones. People who are called out from their private lives to assemble together with the purpose of making governmental decisions. Like we would think of like a town hall meeting. We need to get together and decide what we're going to do and figure this out. That is the Greek word Government term Jesus used to say, I'm gonna build, he didn't say, I'm gonna build my synagogue. He's doing something different. He didn't say, I'm sending my priests, he said, I'm sending my apostles. Secular government military word that he took from the Romans. I'm changing the mindset. I'm gonna build my ecclesia, my assembly. So, the definition of a church is at least two or more people who've gathered together in public for the purpose of worshiping Jesus. You can't be the church on your own. You can be a Christian, you can't be the church. And here's the deal, think about this. Jesus did not promise the gates of hell would not prevail against you as an individual. He said the gates of hell won't prevail against his ecclesia, the assembly of his people. And so in America, if you hear people saying, I don't need church, I'm telling you right now, they're buying more into the mindset of the cultural Christianity, a golden calf Christianity that they're calling Jesus, but it's not Jesus. It is a selfish faith People that say that, show me your sacrifice. Show me your obedience. Oh, wait, there is none. It's all about you. So be on your guard, church. Is your mindset more the mindset of the culture or of the scripture? The culture or Christ? Very different mindsets. He came to lay his life down. He's sneaking off with the Father, and then he's serving people. Whew. When you read through Acts, you're going to notice they do everything together. Everything. They didn't have copies of the scriptures. So just to read the Bible, they had to get together. In the book of Acts, I'm sure the disciples learned to sneak off and pray by themselves. You see Paul, you see Peter doing it a few times. But the most examples of prayer was communal together, praying together, seeking Jesus together. How about a few verses, Acts 2, 42 through 47? They devoted themselves, they, plural, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with all the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Listen to this, count the togethers with me. Shall we count them together? All the believers were together, one, and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, Too, They broke bread in their homes and ate, Together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Hebrews 10.25. Therefore, the mysterious apostle who wrote this, Apollos or Paul. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do or as some are in the habit of doing. We think, we think declining church attendance is a modern American problem. <laughs> As some are, Paul's like, where is everybody? Come on. Or Apollos. They argue over who wrote it. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near, or all the more as you see the day approaching. He says, the closer we get to judgment day, the more important it is for us to be together. And we're going to see why over the next two reasons that I'm going to give you tonight. So reason number one, it's how we're designed as people. We're not going to function well on our own in life or in faith. The second reason that if you're truly following Jesus, he's going to lead you, into deep fellowship in your faith and in, and in life is because it's how we will experience the fullness of Jesus. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the people for works of service. There's that word servant coming up again. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What do we need? What are the ingredients for us as people to experience the fullness of Jesus? How many of you say, I want the fullness of Jesus in my life? I hope everybody, and y'all, if you're too lazy, raise your hand, that's all right, as long as you want it right here, all right? We want the fullness of Jesus, and so week one, we need the Word of God. Oh, absolutely. We need the Spirit of God. Oh, absolutely, but The scriptures, the apostle Paul is saying, if we want to experience the fullness of Jesus in this life and what he has for us, we need each other. We need God to equip leaders who he raises up to teach and instruct and equip people to use their gifts, 1 Peter 4.10, use whatever gift you've received to serve one another, to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace gift in your life in its various forms. We need to be together serving one another. He's saying if we are not together serving one another, using our gifts to bless each other, we are not going to experience the fullness of Jesus. I don't care how strong your baptism in the Spirit was. I don't care how much you speak in tongues. I don't care how much you read the Bible. If you're not a part of a church family where you're lovingly serving each other, you are not going to experience the fullness of Christ. We are not going to experience the fullness of Christ without this. We need each other. We need each other. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the church is the body of Christ. And he says, now to each one, each person, a manifestation of the spirit of Christ is given. And he's talking about spiritual gifts. And he says, now... You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So we've all got gifts. He says it's a manifestation. What does that mean? When you use your spiritual gift, listen, even if you have the same gift as me, it's flowing through a different vessel. You ever use a a power washer and in the heads on the power washer, here's one of these illustrations, like three of you have used the power washer. So you're going to know what I'm talking about. But the heads on the power washer are different they control the flow. And so if you put a different head on there, it's gonna come out different. Lord help me, translate Holy Spirit. Even if you and I get the same gifts, your personality's different. Jesus is going to manifest different through you. That's why we can have different worship leaders. Here we go. You get it now. That's why we can have different worship leaders. They sing the same song and it's like when she saying I felt power, when she saying I felt peace, when he saying I felt joy, cuz that's what we carry. It's the same Jesus, same spirit flowing. It's coming out through a different conductor a different conduit, a different vessel. So all that to say, when you use your gifts that Jesus has given you, I get to see a, a more full picture of who Jesus is that I would never see if you were not serving. I love songwriting. I've written a lot of songs. And as I've studied that, there's a beautiful quote in songwriting. There are songs that only you can sing. There's, there's songs that only you can write. That's true. That's true. But when it comes to you and your spiritual gifts, there is service. There's a manifestation of Jesus. We will never see if you don't get involved and start serving people. I am sick and tired of listening to this debate about introversion. I think introversion is an excuse for social anxiety to be a wallflower. That's what I think. Can you, do we have quieter people and louder people? Yes. Stop using it as an excuse to forfeit your calling. Well, I'm just introverted. I'm just introverted. I'm just introverted. Show me introversion in the Bible. We need a personality assessment that's the personality of Jesus. Jesus. He says, say it. I thought this was flesh. To hell with the Enneagram. And that one's literally probably from hell, so we can just throw that out all together. But these personality assessments, I want to know about me. How about, I want to know about who I should be. Not about who I am. Tell me who I am. You suck. You're insecure. You're this. Yes, I knew that. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. You're introverted. I knew it. I wish I was extroverted. They get all the glory. I suck. Way to buy into your self hatred. How about read the Bible, and this is the personality of Jesus. This is, go read 1 Corinthians, the definition of love. That's your personality you're called to. Go read Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit. That's the personality you're called to. This needs to be our personality assessment. Because if he says it's who you are, then there's no like, yeah, oh, self-deprecating. Oh, but I could never live up to it. Bull. I call bull on that. That's a lie from the enemy. This is the truth of God's word. We need to value this more than all the cultural crap that our culture throws at us. Scobula. It's in scripture, it's a Greek word. It's the strongest word for dung or feces that you could use and Paul said, I consider all these things scubula compared to knowing him. I won't tell you what the best English translation is of that word. So when God lets me call something crap, that's what it is. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This right here is the opposite of that. This is a treasure hidden in a field. This is a pearl of great price. Stop listening to culture. That's why your mind's not right. That's why you use all the excuses of culture. They sound good, but they're strongholds. Whew. Not doing it not using a Lord of the Rings illustration, but here I go. It's the sticky web of that spider. (laughs) That's what that is. Why? Because we listen to culture so much. If we would get our head in here, we would go, but we're afraid of conviction. And we want to be on the Mount of Transfiguration and build shelters there rather than getting in the trenches and serving people like Jesus did. Go, look, go study how much he served people versus on the mountain of transfiguration. Let's do a time study there. Jesus, help us. We're only going to experience the fullness of Jesus if each of us is using our gifts. If some of you are sitting out feeling bad about yourself... You're, you're causing our church to miss out on a fuller picture of who Jesus is. You're the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. <sighs> who is God? Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Who is God? God is love. Two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm going to tell you this, because we have, we have crossed over. We are a spirit-filled church, so we love to worship. We love to be on the Mount of Transfiguration. Some of us even love to be in the prayer closet. Love God, love God, love God, love God, greatest commandment. Jesus said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do a word study in Scripture and look at the ways that we love God, and Jesus said obedience, that's the way we love God, what are the commands that he gave, and what do they have to do with? A new command I give you, love one another. When you study that out, all the commands of Jesus, which I've done, you know what you find? Loving other people is the number one way we show love to God. Outside of your own personal integrity and keeping yourself from being polluted by the world. That right there is how you show your love for God. That's why John says, how can you say you love God if you hate your brother? The love of God's not even in you. So you can have the greatest charismatic experiences in the world. You can get caught up to the vision of third heaven. You can speak in all the tongues all the time. You can have angelic visitations. But if you don't love other people, And by the way, that's not feeling positive vibes towards them. It's not a positive affection. I feel warm fuzzies when I think about other people, but I like to sit in my prayer closet and experience the glory. No. Love means to demonstrate, to show it, to prove it. That's what it means. How do we show love? Giving and serving. You know why churches talk so much about giving and serving? Because it's how we demonstrate love. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We wouldn't be saved if God just thought positive vibes towards us. Thinking positive thoughts. Sending positive vibes your way. Cool, why don't you get down here and do something to help me? And when I'm in this horrific situation... God demonstrated. God demonstrated. He showed. What did he do? He served. What else did he do? He so loved that he gave to his very life. Giving and serving. Listen, if you're going to demonstrate love to anybody, your spouse, your kids, this church family, anybody, you'll be doing one of two things. You'll be giving them something or you'll be serving them in some way. Random act of kindness. Guess what you did? You served them. I just want to show some love. I want to clean up the dishes tonight. what did you do? You served. You know, what? I'm going to give them a gift. You gave. Giving and serving is how we demonstrate love. And so we can't be a people, a church that says, oh, we love God because we just want to be worshiping, singing songs to him all day. You know, worship is your whole life. And the number one way he says to obey him is to love other people. Love other people. Demonstrate it. Show it. Which means to serve and give to other people. That's Jesus. That's his mindset. And that's why in the New Testament, there's over 50 commands to us about things we should be doing to one another. And some of them are repeated. Like, like the number, guess which one is repeated the most? Love one another. It's repeated like 16 times. In the New Testament. But here's just a, an example. John 13 34, love one another. It's repeated 16 other times. Romans 12 10, be devoted to one another. Romans 12 10. Again, honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12:16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 14:19, build up one another. Romans 15:5, be like-minded towards one another. Romans 15:7, accept one another. Colossians three sixteen, admonish one another. Romans sixteen sixteen, greet one another. First Corinthians twelve, care for one another. Galatians five thirteen, serve one another. Galatians six two, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians four two, forgive one another. Colossians three thirteen, be patient with one another. Ephesians four fifteen, speak the truth in love to one another. Ephesians four thirty two, be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 5.19, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. Philippians 2.3, consider others better than yourselves. Philippians 2.4, look to the interests of one another. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another. Colossians 3.16, teach one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another. Hebrews 10, 24, stir up, which means to provoke or stimulate one another to love and good works. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another. 1 Peter 4, 10, use whatever gifts God's given you for the benefit of one another. 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. James five sixteen confess your faults or sins to one another. And James five sixteen again, pray for one another. This is Jesus. This is the Bible. If we're not doing these things, we're buying into a cultural mindset of selfish, consumerist. We've made our faith selfish and consumeristic rather than the mindset of Christ. So us being together in communities, loving and serving each other, it's how we're going to experience the fullness of Jesus. And the third reason is this. It's is how we're going to experience the fullness of his kingdom come on this earth. Now, what I'm about to say, as an American, you're not going to like this either. So just a heads up. But if it's scripture, then we humble ourselves and we submit. Amen? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. In a real sense... All life is interrelated. All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. An inescapable network of mutuality. Tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. I love that phrase. We are in an inescapable network of mutuality. Let me, let me say it a little more explicitly to you. You cannot fully fulfill your calling on the earth without me or the people God's called you to work with fulfilling my calling on the earth. I cannot fully fulfill my calling on the earth, unless you or the people God's called me to walk alongside and with, fulfill your calling on the earth. Which means I can be perfectly obedient and faithful and do every single thing that Jesus asked me to do in my calling and in my life, but I will not see the fullness of his kingdom dream come in my generation Unless other people buy into that dream. Martin Luther King, why did he say this? Because I have a dream. I have a dream, he said. Right? Where his kids are growing up with white kids and they don't even think about race and color. But he knew, I can't live in that dream unless this whole nation gets it and starts living it. I'm amazed that for the most part in America, we've come a long way. And I know if my kids are all y'all's kids grown up with people of color, different races, they're not going to think two things about it, right? They might ask questions. You go in the rush. My kid asked, there was a, we were in Detroit. We walk up behind a black guy one time. He, my kid goes, hey, why are his hands pink? And it was the underside of his hands. There's more pink. Why is his skin dark? Uh, it's the melatonin, and I think it soaks up more of the sun. I don't know. It's how God made him, Right? That's it, and we move on. Okay, moving on. We're we're starting to live in that dream in America that he had. Why? Because people started getting it. A culture has started getting it. It's awesome. So let's talk about faith. God wants his kingdom to come on the earth. We all want revival. Name me one revival that started with one person. There isn't one you'll start throwing out famous guys' names. And that is not how it happened because I've studied it. It's not how it happened. There were groups of people. And a lot of times it was a small group of people. Jesus starting to sound like Pentecost in here. I don't know, 120 on fire for Jesus could start a worldwide revival. Yeah, that can happen. But one person, maybe it starts with one who voices, who's courageous. I'm gonna go first. But then what happens? They gather. I don't know of one revival that one dude got up and spoke his heart, and pff, revival falls. It's a group seeking God together. And all the famous people you're going to tell me, they are the, they're actually, a lot of them, the revival started, and they're the ones that rose up and became a leader in the movement. Because it was a work of God, and it was people, it was grassroots. But here's the deal. I can be perfectly obedient, but if all y'all aren't being obedient, we're not going to see the kingdom come. Y'all can be obedient. If I'm not being obedient, we're not going to see the kingdom come. Now listen, as again, in our culture, America, rugged individualism, rags to riches. I, I was born, I didn't even have a mom. I was just born in the woods with wolves. They raised me. But somehow I became a man, and I, my, my great-grandparents, that's how he was born. He came over on the, on the Mayflower, it was, and uh, we were Irish. I don't know what I'm saying, but we get over here. And then, uh, you know, I was born in poverty by myself. I grew up in an alley, raised myself. I was raised by rats, ninja turtles. And then, you know, but, but I got out, and I'm just so brilliant that I became this, this Bitcoin investor and Elon Musk, and here we go. That's... You can tell that wasn't the spirit. (laughs) But listen, that's how we think in America. We hold up the Elon Musk, we hold up these guys. Well, he's just brilliant. I can give you a book. It's by Malcolm Gladwell, Tipping Point. It might not be Tipping Point, he has another book. Malcolm Gladwell has a book that I've read, and I can't remember the title of. And you know what the whole book's about? All these raging success stories that we think this person was brilliant, and he goes into their backstory, and you know what he proves through the book? Yes, that person had talent, but that was not the whole picture. They were in the right place at the right time. Did you know Bill Gates, I believe it was his mom or dad, worked on computers back in the whatever, 60s, whenever he was growing up. Think about computers and was working on, he got to go in and spend time on computers. He got spare parts, so he got to play with computers growing up in the 60s. He got unlimited access to like the best technological computers starting when he was a young teenager. Oh, maybe he just wasn't this, this crazy genius that came out of nowhere in the late 70s. Maybe there was exposure. Maybe there were lots of brilliant people like his parents helping him. Do you understand? This is what that whole book's about. It goes through sports culture. It goes through all these things. And it proves talent alone's not enough. Right time, right place. And other people, relationships, what we might call divine appointments, necessary for these things to take place. And I'm telling you the same thing is true in faith. As much as I don't like it, I'd like to think I can be obedient and pray enough that the Lord sends a lightning bolt and the Spirit flies out and revival starts just because I was faithful and it's just not going to happen. You want me to prove it to you from Scripture? Moses and the Israelites. Moses is obedient. He gets called, powerful man of God, and through his obedience, a whole nation gets set free. Wow. That's pretty awesome. They're not in the fullness of the kingdom yet. The kingdom of God You know, Old Testament, the kingdom of God was the nation of Israel. Wasn't even set up yet. How do we know that? Because Jesus, I just read the scripture this morning. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is being taken from you Pharisees and given to a people who will produce its fruit, the Gentiles. That's what he was saying. Kingdom of God is being taken from the nation of Israel. It was the literal kingdom. God created a nation. God was ruling the nation on the earth. Wasn't set up yet. Through one man's obedience, whole nation gets set free. Then what happened? They spend a year sitting at the Lord's feet at Mount Sinai, a year. And we know that because it says when after the second Passover, the first Passover was the day they're coming out. It says after the second Passover, God says, now go to the land. Send out the spies. God's will was they would spend one year in the wilderness, and the wilderness had a purpose for you to sit at the Lord's feet where you have nothing, so you learn God's all you need. And to learn the law, and to, and to get ready to prepare to bring the kingdom of God. And Jesus modeled that with his 40-day fast. That's what he was doing. And so they sent out the 12 spies. And two of them are on board with Moses, faithful men, a different spirit. Wholehearted devotion, going after God—they're going to bring the kingdom in their generation. They're ready. Moses is ready. But ten of those spies said, eh, "We don't believe God. There's giants." Do you know what Moses and Caleb and Joshua were thinking when they're like, "But there's giants there. We seem like grasshoppers." You know what they were thinking? Duh. God told us that. We know there's giants. God said he would send a hornet in front of us, which was an angel army to drive them out. God said when we fight them, God would fight for us. Duh, we know there's giants. We don't care. We're not afraid. We've got God. That fire cloud thing, fire tornado, he can just whisk in there and sweep them all up. He just did it to the Egyptians! <laughs> he divided the sea, he drowned them all. Who knows what he's gonna do? The giants, we don't care though, we just know we're gonna win. Duh, of course there's giants. Nah. No. mm We're scared. Uh uh-uh. uh. Everybody listens to them. What happens? 40 years in the wilderness. Moses, Caleb, Joshua, perfectly obedient, perfectly. They tried to kill Moses three times leading up to that. Perfectly obedient, perfectly obedient. God said, these people are so rebellious. I'm going to kill them all and start over with you. So Moses is the new Abraham. What's Moses say? As tempting as that was. No, don't do that. The Egyptians don't hear about it. You'll get a bad name, God. Perfectly obedient. And he doesn't get to go in. Why? People weren't fulfilling their callings. Joshua, Caleb, perfectly obedient, didn't get to go in. Why? People weren't fulfilling their callings. If you need more biblical proof, just ask Joshua about a guy named Achan. God's like, I'm not fighting for you anymore. <laughs> what? What happened? Joshua's the leader. He's probably like, I'm in that tent every day. What do what, what I do? Oh, it's not you. But there's somebody. There's somebody. Better figure it out. They figure it out sinned against God in a major way. God's like, yep, we need to deal with this. We can't think as simply as the kingdom's gonna come because I prayed it. Because I'm doing my part. We We need each other. We need each other. We need each other. inescapable network of mutuality it's the family of god and that's why if we want to see the kingdom come we need to be deeply concerned about one another i can't just be concerned about my faith paul said i'm in labor pains all over again with these galatians I birthed this church, and then now they've gotten way off track. And whoa, here we go again. It's a lot of hard work, but I'm not giving up. Why? Because I can't. Because we'll never get there. Because if the church in Galatia goes off the track, the whole city of Galatia, the whole region of Galatia has no hope in Christ. We have to be concerned about each other. Our callings and our obedience is interconnected. Paul said the body, again, one part suffers, everybody suffers. <laughs> you ever get a thorn in your foot? Or, or you get a little, you get a tiny little splinter in your finger? And your finger is making so much noise, your whole body is like, how can we as a whole body help get Mr. Little Finger back to where he needs to be so that I'm over here, my left hand's doing great. I'm trying to enjoy the day, but I can't because Mr. Little right pointer finger's got a splinter. So can we, Mr. Brain, get this whole body involved to get the splinter out of Mr. Finger over here? Because he will not shut up about it, and I'm sick of hearing about it. Ow! Man, it just kind of hurts. just kind of throbbing. Like, oh, there it is again. And so finally, a uh, relief to the whole body. Now, you are a body. Each one of you is a part of it. If one member suffers, we're all suffering. We're interconnected. We need to care for each other. We need to take care of one another. Romans 12, 5 says, though we, we in Christ, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Which means if some of us aren't doing our part, some of us aren't fulfilling our callings, serving one another in love, being involved and engaged, not just being a spiritual infant, Feed me, feed me, feed me. I got my worship on. Oh, they played my song, so I felt good, so I might go next week. No more of that. Time to grow up. And if you're over the age of about 14 years old, you know exactly what I'm saying, and you have it within you to grow up. It is time to put childish ways behind you. We maintain childlike faith. We put the childish ways behind us, and that right there is a childish way. The, the giants of the faith that I look up to the most throughout history. The men whose names, if I were to say them, you'd be like, oh, yeah, great man. i God. go, oh, yeah. We're the most devoted to the local church. Faithful servants of the local church. Building up the local church. And so we've got to put this selfish mindset behind us. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You're the body of Christ. Each one of us is a part of it. Now, Ephesians four sixteen, this is right after he says, we'll experience the fullness of Jesus if we're serving each other. From him, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love again as each part does its work. So here's a few more good questions. What is my part? You need to pray and ask God. Do not come and ask me. What? what's my part, Pastor Aaron? Here's, I'm telling you in advance. Here's what I'll tell you. First, you should pray and ask God. Now, if you're saying, I got more time on my hands, is there any way I can serve? We might be able to talk. I think you should start here though. What's my part in the body? I remember somebody, I don't remember the context of this. I don't remember the, the, the outworking of this, but I remember somebody in our church came and said, God told me I'm a ligament. I was like, Cool. I like ligaments. (laughs) I can walk because of ligaments. (laughs) Okay. Pray into that, all right? If he picks a body part, keep praying. (laughs) Ask for insight, (laughs) ask for understanding. (laughs) I'm a ligament. Hey, it's all needed. God told me I'm a toenail. Don't come to me with that either. You pray for interpretation. <laughs> Ask God, what's my part? Ask for interpretation. <laughs> and then think about this. Here's a good question. Am I doing my part? Am I doing, if, if I'm a ligament, ligaments do something. They help the body move. We get stuff done. What's that mean? I don't know. Pray into it. But if you're not doing anything, you might be a ligament, but you're not doing what a ligament does. So what's my part? And then am I doing my part? Here's a really convicting question I heard years ago. This really convicted me at the time. How healthy, healthy and effective would our church be if everyone else was like me? How passionate would our worship be if everybody else worshiped like me? I don't like these songs. <laughs> How would our giving budget be if everybody gave, like me? How healthy and awesome would our kids' ministry be if everybody served? Like me. That's convicting. Those questions start to get to the heart of, am I doing my part? So, I have a few challenges. That's my first challenge. Pray into that and ask the Lord. A few ways that you can start getting involved and doing your part. Or just being a part. It could start with just being a part of the body. And, Pastor Ruth talked about group leader signups opening up tonight. If you want to lead a group, if you're like, ah, I don't want to lead a group, that's too intimidating, but I can be a part of a group, those signups will be in a few weeks. But if you feel led to lead a group, groups could be about anything. It could be about spiritual growth. You could start a prayer group, you could start a Bible study. It could just be, we want to get together and, and play a game, you know, play games together and just have fun. Community groups. Uh, we do a lot of work in this church, a lot of work. We work hard for the Lord. And over the last several years, God showed me the value of just community groups. We just, there's a group in our church and, and they just get together every Friday night and, and they do a little potluck meal and different people cook different things as different people turn. They just hang out. And then they've invited one of our leaders uh, over, over the course of their group to their group. And then we get to know them. And get to know. It's just awesome what they're doing. And they're just fellowshipping, sharing meals together. It could be as simple as that doesn't have to be, you don't have to lead a group on, you know, 12 points of theology, and it's a 12-week group, and there's classwork and homework. You don't have to do that. If you want to nerd out and do that, you can do that. But you don't have to. <laughs> Pastor Ruth talked about our Get Connected meeting tomorrow after the service, 15 minutes after or so. We say, we say that because we don't know when we're going to end. Because, you know, that's why we're flexible around here. And whenever we're done... 15 or so minutes after she's going to hold this meeting. And you can find out how to get connected. If you're interested in serving, if you're interested in groups, you just want to know more. You just want to know more about the history of the group. You want to know about the leaders. Meet with Pastor Ruth tomorrow. Get to know her. Ask whatever questions you have. And I would encourage you, if you're not serving in this church, start serving in some way. Start serving in some way. The number one way that I have built relationships and gotten to know people through the years of all the churches I've been out, even before I was in ministry, was through serving. Because when you're in the trenches with people and you see them every week and you're doing something together, you just build relationship as well. And think about that. Jesus didn't start a fellowship small group to just sit around and talk. He, they were out there doing the work. But you better believe they became friends, he said. I no longer call you servants, but friends. And so getting involved in serving... Is, is, is a really awesome way to do that. And I wanna say this, we have an honor code when it comes to serving. Serving here is a big deal. When you serve in any capacity in this church, you are not only representing free people, more importantly, you're representing Jesus to anybody who comes through those doors. And a lot of people that come through those doors don't know Jesus. They're just community like, I'm seeking God today. Now you're a representative of Christ. And so, for you to be a representative of Christ, we have an honor code. Our honor code is: you're, you're just commit. You're saying, "I'm a Christian. I've been saved and baptized." Okay, and through the week, I live a Christian life to the best of my ability. It's not legalistic, and there's things listed out. And you can go check it out. Uh, talk to Pastor Ruth. Email her. She can send you what our honor code is in its details. It's like basic stuff. I'm not going to be getting drunk or high. <laughs> I'm not going to be sleeping around. I, I'm not going to live with someone I'm not married to. Those types of things. Very basic. Because if, if you, first of all, if you're not a believer, I want you to hear me on this. We're not just looking for warm bodies to help us do stuff. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. And that's to know Jesus. Jesus. And if it's common sense if you don't know Jesus yet you can't represent him. And so if you're not a believer if you're just seeking God, your your job is to come every week and get to know people and seek Jesus and come to know Jesus and grow in Jesus. Once you're a believer, you want to start serving? Look at your life. Are you living a Christian life? Again, we're not legalistic about it. We're not going to come hunt you down and be like, "Oh, what did you do last night? What kind of movie was that rated R?" We're not doing that. It's an honor code for a reason. But we're saying we have some standards if we're going to represent Jesus here, okay? And it's discipleship. For new people, they're like, oh, wow. We've had people go through this one time uh, that was uh, living with someone that they're not married to. New believers, both of them new believers. When we walk through this, they're like, I didn't even know that was a sin. Wow. Discipleship. Okay. Eventually they met, right? Able to serve, right? We want to honor Jesus. And here's why. Again, people walk in, they see you serving, representing Jesus. Forget about our church. Forget about our church name. They see you representing Jesus, and they know out there you're getting wasted on the weekends. Guess what they think? If they're a new believer, they're going to think one of two things. Oh, okay. That church is hypocritical. That could be one. But here's what some new, new believers might think. Oh, I guess that's okay. guess that's okay. We disciple people by our example. And by the way, the day you're saved, you're supposed to be representing Jesus. And so even if you don't serve here, you should be living by this honor code because it's the basics of how Jesus calls, in, calls us to honor him. So I would encourage you, if you're not serving in some way, start serving. We have teams, weekend teams, that help everything happen here. Parking team, greeting team, our tech team back there, our kids team is our biggest team where we have the most need because it just requires the most people. Our worship team, we have an intercession team that meets during our services that are praying. They're probably in there right now praying in, in a room right over there. If you like prayer, boom, awesome way to serve. So there's there's ways to serve for everybody. And so I would just encourage you, and I will say right now, our kids team has the biggest need, and it probably always will because we just require the most people. But whew, to help train up not just your children, but the children of this church in the way they should go is just really a really powerful, awesome thing. So pray about those things. And I'm challenging you, if you're not serving it in some capacity, Pray about starting to serve. And I would challenge you to start serving in some way. I want to close with a quote by pastor and author John Mark Comer. And he said this Stay with your church, especially your closest siblings in the family of God. Live a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community, for, the, for it is there we are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape. When you fail a course, throw yourself upon God's mercy. Come back to the table, eat the bread, drink the wine, ingest the forgiving love of God. Repent, repent again and again. Risk vulnerability. We will get hurt and we will hurt in return. That is part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from relationships but so does our deepest healing, the risk is worth it. The risk is worth it. If you're coming from another church background, if you have church hurt, here's what I've observed over the last many years in ministry. You need a season of healing where you're not doing where you can come and sit and receive and heal. But at some point, Jesus will lead you to a church family where you're called to get back involved in that church family. Depending on what it was, what I've observed, six to 12 months is a good time frame for healing. If you've been going five years on healing from church hurt, you're probably holding bitterness and offense, and that infection in your heart is why you haven't healed yet. And we can help with that. We'll do a prayer session with you, and it'll help immensely. Also, there's a lot of new people in our church, even in the last couple of years. And you might observe other people in our church and they have such a long history and they have such a deep friendship and you have that covetousness in a godly jealousy kind of way. Not, I'm not jealous of them, but I want that for me. I want that type of friendship, community in a church and here's what I would encourage you with. That takes time. I would say, in fact, that takes years. Attend and serve and get in a group for about two or three years And see if that has not formed in your life. Because people that I know in this church who've been with us since the beginning. That I'm very good friends with. Guess what in the beginning it was awkward and we didn't know each other that well. (laughs) And we made jokes that offended each other from time to time. Like oh shoot whoops. (laughs) We hurt each other. We stayed in the trenches. We said I'm sorry. We forgave. We kept going. And then that process repeated itself I don't know, dozens of times. And it's just like a marriage. When you go through hard things and you forgive and you, you offer grace and you heal from that, guess what? You love that person even more. You love them even more. The The relational bond is stronger. Why? Because until something bad happens, whew, There's this fear in the, yeah, but if something goes wrong, they're going to be out. When stuff goes wrong and they stay and you stay and you show grace, we've been through everything. Not going anywhere. All that fear goes away. Relationships get deeper. Relationships get stronger. That's what the early church had. The apostles were that right there. Arguing, fighting, offending each other again and again. Who's the greatest? Count the times it says they were arguing about who was the greatest. James and John's mom gets in on the action. Peter and Andrew probably hate not just them, but their mom. We want to be the greatest. We want to sit at the right hand. When the, ten, the other found out about it, they were indignant. They were frustrated. They are upset about it. can't believe you're asking about the, the greatest. But they stuck through it. Only one that didn't was Judas, and he removed himself. And so I say all that to say it does take time. And if for some of you are like, man, I'm new here, dang you talking two or three years. Yep. So you might as well get started now. <laughs> Don't wait another two or three years. Or in two or three years, I'll be preaching another message like this. And you'll be like, man, it's going to take two or three years. But those people have probably already moved on to the next church by now. Looking for something quick. <sighs> so I just want to encourage you. If you need healing, get healing. Take the time. But at some point, Jesus wants to plug you in. The risk is worth it. 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 (laughs) It's how we were designed to live. The risk is worth it. If we want to see the fullness of Jesus, is that risk worth it? If we want to see the fullness of the kingdom come, is that risk worth it? Absolutely. It's worth it. But, man, it's commitment. It's work. It's service. And there's a whole lot of that that is not glorious. And that's why we avoid it. But I want to encourage you not to avoid it anymore. To just say, I'm going to do those things. All right. Last thing I'm going to say. I said it was the last. Give me one more. P.S. Postscript before the prayer. I was talking to my wife and this came in my head and I'm going to say it. When it comes to your calling and looking for where to serve, I believe, when you're saying, God, what's my part? What am I created to do? There are things that when you do them, (laughs) You're like, wow, I was born to do this. I was born to do this. And it just fills you. You get filled. With the pleasure of God. While you're doing that thing. It's a beautiful experience. And if you haven't found that thing. The best way to find it is to try lots of things. Serve in lots of ways. You'll find out real quick what's not that thing. (laughs) But you'll find that thing. The first time I got up to speak at a youth event, I'd never spoken publicly. And I was doing it out of sheer obedience. I was nervous. I was afraid. I had no delusions of grandeur that I would start a church or be a pastor or a preacher. I didn't want to be those things. And I had these notes. And when I got up to speak, I read the first few sentences. The Holy Spirit filled me, took over. And for about the next 45 minutes, I kind of had an out-of-body experience where my mouth is talking about God. And my brain is over here going, what is happening right now? What are we doing? Wow! Wow! And it was to a little youth group, about 20 kids. And I saw kids crying. I saw this response. And I was like, what is this? And I got done. And I was like, whoa. It was, it, the Holy Spirit filled me. And I was like, what was that? And the Lord marked me. He's like, you might want to pay attention to that right there. Okay. So there are those things. And I want to encourage you to find those things. And for some of you, it'll be... The acts of service, stack and chairs, right? Whew. I just love to serve. I just want to help in any way. Whew. I just get all fired up about it. There's that. It, it looks different for different people. So there's that. And here's the part I wanted to say. I say all that to say. There's also a whole lot in the church family that's doing dishes. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't know anybody that feels the pleasure of God while they're doing dishes. I just thought of one, Brother Lawrence, a monk in the 1600s. There you go. The one dude in history. But guess what? Some of you ladies, while you're cooking that meal, oh, pleasure God's born to cook But when it comes to time to do dishes, hey, everybody, need some help over here. We just got to do dishes, y'all. The dishes have to get done. And I can promise you this, whatever your calling is, I hope and pray, there will be some of the pleasure of God, ecstasy, as you're being used by him. I'm just an instrument, Lord, play me, Right? But there's also going to be a whole lot of dishes that need done. And Jesus did tons of miracles. Woo, amazing. He knelt down and washed their feet. Anybody could do that. And it just needed done. I've heard theologians, why did he wash their feet? Oh, it's to demonstrate the humility of God. It's just, I wonder if he's like, I've long enjoyed to share this. meal with you guys, okay, I'm going to wash the feet, okay, all right, (laughs) what if they just think it just needed done, so when we think about our church, serving positions, serving teams, if you're thinking, I'm going to plan it all out until I have mastered what is the one thing, even though I've never served in my life, and then I'm going to figure that out, and then I'm going to do that one thing, I'm going to feel the pleasure of God in my life, I highly doubt it's going to happen that way. It's like kids. When kids are young, get involved, do a lot of stuff. You'll figure out real quick what you're good at, and you'll figure out real quick what you enjoy. And then you can start to narrow. But, man, there's just a lot of dishes that that need to get done. And so I want to encourage you. Be someone who is not only willing to see God use you for the miraculous, but be someone who's willing to do the dishes. (laughs) Because Jesus was willing to wash feet. It's his nature. Amen? Let's pray. God, I just thank you for our evening together. (sighs) (sighs) And Lord, I just end with a simple prayer tonight. That you would give us your mindset and your heart. Jesus, I just pray that people are filled with your spirit to overflowing. I pray for miracles, signs, and wonders. I pray for being caught up to the third heaven. I pray for angelic visitations. I pray for dreams and visions. We want it all, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. But I pray the people who have the, the greatest of those experiences are so humbled by them that like you, Jesus, they are the greatest servants. Because, Jesus, you are God. (laughs) And you didn't think of that as something to use to your own advantage. You didn't brag about it. (laughs) You served. You just served. You didn't do miracles to show off. You didn't do miracles to prove yourself. You did them to help people. And so, God, I just pray you would fill us with a desire, your heart desire, your heart, Jesus, to help people. I pray that you would fill us with a compassion to want, to love, and to serve other people, especially starting with our own families, our wives and children, and our own very church family. Let us do good to all people, but especially to the family of believers, your word says. So God, we want to know you. We want to know you more. And we're not going to know that without being servants like you. So help us to love like you. Help us to serve like you, Jesus. Fill us with your heart. Give us your mindset. And then I just pray for the humility, the courage to just do it, to just serve, to just do the things that you're calling us to do. I pray for the courage for simple acts of obedience. I pray for the humility of simple acts of obedience day in and day out. It's how we build the kingdom. It's how we build the kingdom. It's how we build one another up in love. So we thank you, Jesus, for your example and your word tonight. And I thank you for building our church up in love. I pray that we would be a church of servants, a church of servants filled with your Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6, they chose men who were full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit to do what? Collect money, count it, buy food, and distribute that food to people in need. Men who are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom to do these simple tasks that needed done. And then one of them goes from there, Philip, and starts a revival in Samaria, preaching and doing miracles too. So you want spirit-filled, empowered believers in every act of service, every role in this church family? out in the world, being salt and light, spirit-filled believers, humbling themselves to serve in their workplaces, to serve their bosses, as if serving you, Jesus. Oh, God, give us a servant heart. Give us a servant heart. Help us to humble ourselves. And I pray whenever those thoughts and those feelings of a self-will and a selfish mindset that's so prevalent in our culture creep up that Holy Spirit, you would just gently illuminate and go, wait a second, I'm a servant. Let's serve here. Let's deny ourselves. Let's serve. Let's get back involved. Let's do this. So I thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being faithful in that, convicting us and leading us in that. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.